Welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast, where we talk about all things OCD. This show is for educational purposes and is not intended to replace professional mental health care. Here's your host, Christina Orlova. Hello, so welcome to OCD Whisperer Podcast. And today I'm happy to have Jason Adams, who wrote The OC Dad. And he is from Canada, and this book will be available for pre-sale um, at the ocdad.ca. So welcome to the show, Jason. Thank you. Fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So I think um, it's a really great topic that you are writing about, especially being a father with um, dealing with OCD and having kids and kind of everything that goes into that. So I'm pretty sure that my audience are going to have a couple of questions. Um, and if you don't mind, we're going to just dive right on in. Absolutely. Let's do it. Awesome. So kind of, I think one of the first questions would be, you know, does your OCD get in the way of parenting? Um, not, not as much anymore. Uh, and it, it, it's kind of, um, it's kind of a direct and indirect thing. So, you know, to, to go back a couple of years, my, my, I have twin boys and they're two years old now. Uh, they turned two in July. So in July of uh, 2019, for the first three months when they were born, um, OCD affected my life with them and my parenting a lot, uh, to the point that my wife and I really sat down and had a, a good hard talk about, you know, sort of, we, we can't continue exactly like this. The, these are symptoms. They seem to be coming out of nowhere. Now, of course, in retrospect, they didn't come out of nowhere, but, um, you know, back then, you know, we, we just knew something had to change and what that looked like, um, one thing was uh, it was making me very, very overprotective about seemingly normal things. Uh, one of the ones that I, I joke about quite often, my, my wife would get quite frustrated with me because when my boys were first born, I was struggling with intrusive thoughts about harm coming to them. Um, not not for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm fortunate in that sense. I didn't have any thoughts of me hurting them, but I would get intrusive thoughts about them falling, intrusive thoughts about them struggling in water. And the one that we always laugh about was I would get intrusive thoughts of uh, something happening to their neck when I went to put a shirt on them. Mm. And when they're really, really little, you know, they're tiny little delicate babies. And for a while, obviously we just did, you know, kind of onesies with buttons and things. But when they started wearing shirts, um, I, I, I would stretch the head holes <laughs> a lot mm -hmm. because I just, I didn't want any tension when the shirt was on the way down. And of course my wife, the one who buys the clothes and who did a lot of the, and does a lot of the laundry, she would kind of hold it up and be like, seriously, you can't oh, wow. keep doing that. <laughs> um, but the other thing that it did was, um, I call it kind of a zero to 1000 reaction with, um, things that are just necessary parts of parenting. So baby crying was a huge trigger. Uh, I would think to myself like, oh my gosh, has he rolling on, you know, has he rolled over onto his stomach and, and he's trying to tell me something's wrong. Is his leg caught and his shoulder's going to be separated? Um, you know, baby crying for most people is kind of, oh, baby needs some help. I will go help the baby. For me, it was literally, you know, heart races, um, you know, kind of right on the edge of that fight or flight reaction. Um, and then there would be times where, you know, that reaction would kick in, but it would be at a time when I knew I, I shouldn't do anything about it. So we put them down to bed and I'd lay down and try and go to bed. And I'd have these intrusive thoughts of, oh, geez, I didn't do my third check on their breathing. I didn't zip up his onesie quite high enough. I didn't put a sleep sack on the right way. Did I put the sheet on the mattress? Correct. You know, all, all those types yeah. of things. And so by the time I actually went to get them in the morning, they were fine and the compulsion stopped, pardon me, the obsession stopped because I knew that, okay, they were all right, but I had spent a good part of the night in just 
kind of mental and emotional stress panic you know and 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 that ended up leaving me drained a lot of the time so between all those things and i mean that's just a few examples but between all those things you know it was just wearing down energy and patience for everything yeah yeah and that makes a lot of sense and i think that's definitely true for ocd sufferers is that you know yeah you'll have those intrusions and especially when you have new kids and then you end up you know ruminating all night Oh, yeah. um, or avoiding or checking or, and it really impacts your own sleep. And of course, as we know, you know, for anybody with OCD stress and, and sleep problems and everything gets exacerbated. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Oh, of course. Yeah. Um, so next question would be, how do you manage your OCD when you're around your kids? Yeah. So when, when I first started therapy, the way I managed my OCD around them was by doing a lot of ERP, um, pardon me, uh, exposure response prevention um, at the times when I wasn't with them in anticipation of what we were going to be doing. So one of the examples that I talk about in my book is uh, we have lots of parks nearby our house and um, I had a lot of trouble at first taking them on any kind of height, any kind of climber, any kind of ladder, you name it. And that would result in me being just the textbook helicopter parent. I would follow their every move. If they went too mm. close to the edge, I'd corral them back. If a family member was watching them and I didn't think they were being protective enough, I'd get upset with them. So that was obviously unmanageable. And what I would do is I, you know, I would kind of take note on that. I would go back and I'd write an imaginal exposure about it. Mm-hmm. Um, and oftentimes it would be about three or four rounds of doing that. Um, and, and then I would also do it before our next park time. So I thought to myself, okay, I'm looking at the schedule just after lunch, we're going to go out to the park. I'm going to get up a little bit early. I'm going to write an imaginal exposure and then I'm going to come back after the experience and see how it went, talk it through with my therapist, that kind of thing. So that was one way. Um, and then the other way really was, you know, it was a combination of um, learning to articulate what's happening and then also just articulate either a CBT exercise or kind of a, a response that I had been practicing. So one of the um, one of the major triggers I had it wasn't so much about my contamination, but diaper changes and their contamination was a huge one. Mm-hmm. So as any parent changing a diaper knows, every now and then they just sling their hand down there and they get <laughs> they get pooper pee on their hands, and you know you take the wipe and you clean off their hand and they're okay. But again when I was, you know, an undiagnosed obsessive compulsive, it, it was just contamination, life-threatening illness, hepatitis A, you name it. Yeah. Um, so in those situations, what I learned to do was prepare a bit of a response. And this came from a CBT exercise in a book by uh, Dr. Jonathan Abramowitz. But the phrase that I used to use right in the moment was, what do I remember about how my brain works? Right. And then that phrase would start me into, okay, what happened What's the, you know, what, what do I know about this situation? How many times have I seen this happen in the past? You know, those different CBT techniques. So really kind of the, the prevention before trigger points and then having a little bit of a phrase that I could repeat in those really, really key times, you know, the combination of those things. Um, I don't want to give the impression that it's a light switch. It's not like it kind of instantly works, but over the course of about three to six months, those two systems made a big difference. Yeah. So it sounds like definitely putting those things in practice and then yes. over time kind of developing that muscle. Yeah. So, so now would you say that like when you're with kids, if anxiety comes up or OCD triggers come up, you're able to basically access those tools much faster and easier and kind of recognize things more? Yes. Uh, 98% of the time. Oh, wow. I do, I, 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 98% Amazing. of the time now, 
I do well. And I don't want to say that it's 100% because it's not. And there are times where, you know, I find myself having to be um, a, a little bit forgiving. I still... Um, I still find that there are times around heights. Uh, my little guys are very adventurous and they like to chase each other around. And sometimes they'll walk backwards at the edge of a climber or whatever else it might be. And I'm kind of going to, you know, and, but I, and, and, I'm, and I'm keeping those thoughts down. But uh, yes, I would say now I certainly recognize the physical sensations attached to it. And I also recognize the sort of instant highlight reel of the worst case scenarios. Mm-hmm. And I've learned to... Um, I've learned to let those kind of pop up almost if you picture kind of like a firework going up into the sky, it'll kind of explode, but I've learned to like, let it fizzle. Mm -hmm. And as it's fizzling, you know, I, I, I've allowed myself to kind of analyze the other factors. So for example, if it's something around a height, um, you know, I can factor in what's the ground made of, how high is this actually, how close am I, is this a well-made structure? You know, all, all these things that I think would have happen quite intrinsically for other people. Um, But I, I, those things definitely now can take over. So I would say that, you know, the OCD symptoms are more like um, kind of a a distraction rather than a front and center focus. Um, But they certainly were the front and center focus for many, many months. (laughs) So yeah. Isn't it incredible when you just don't know what you don't know. Right. And then once you actually understand it and you can put the right strategies in place that with time and practice, yeah, the brain starts to kind of recalibrate and you can learn all that. That's incredible. Absolutely. Um, Well, uh, so the last question I have is how, how would you say your anxiety influences your kid's anxiety? Because I definitely know parents talk about that sometimes, of course, right? You, you have this component where kids get anxious, they can trigger your anxiety, but also inversely, right? You, something ca- comes up for you. And then, of course, because kids are sponges, so they're picking things up non-verbally. So how, well, how have you seen that, that interaction? Yeah, so and that, was, uh, that was a big uh, motivator to start therapy. Um, mm. It, it was a really big motivator. I looked at it as I, I need to manage this so that my kids don't have to manage it. And uh, the way that I was seeing, the way that I was seeing it manifest for them was a couple of ways. Uh, one was it was preventing some of that safe, adventurous play. So what I mean by that is, let's say, you know, again with my twins, that once they could both start walking, they love chasing each other around our main floor. And our our main floor is kind of two long and narrow rooms with doors on both sides, so they love to do their laps. <laughs> and uh, and that would be something where, if I saw them cut too close to a corner, if I saw that there was something in the way on the floor, you know, of course I would I would pick it up, but at the same time it would make me want to just stop the play altogether because I just I, I felt like I couldn't handle it or. If one of them came too close to a corner, I would overreact. You know, it, I, you know, a, a rational reaction when you're teaching a kid about healthy risk would be, you know, you know, there's a corner there. Watch when you're running, but you know, you have a go and make sure that you figure out how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but for me, it would be we have to do something else. We have, we have to do something else. And I found that there was a, you know, there was a relationship between what I could tolerate and what I would let them do with their play, and that, and that, and that was a big one. Uh, the other way that I saw it manifest was in um, my uh, my emotional energy and patience in trigger situations. Mm-hmm. So we'd go to the park, spend a couple hours at the park. I'd have intrusive thoughts of contamination falling from a height, um, you know, and I would do my best to to keep it in mm-hmm. and to not let it affect their play. But then I'd get home mentally and emotionally exhausted, mm. and so. 
it's kind of an indirect effect of the anxiety where maybe they're not picking up on me being overcautious about every little thing, but they're certainly picking up on the fact that dad is not as patient and warm and flexible for the rest of the day as he was before the park. Right. So, so there's really kind of both those things. And I, I really noticed that relationship between kind of my comfort zone and what I was willing to allow them to try. Heights are a big trigger for me. Um, I, uh, I, I struggled with what's called suicidal OCD for quite a while where, um, and I always, you know, it's, it's funny when I tell friends and family about that, they're going, you wanted to kill yourself. No, no, no I didn't want, right. I didn't want to commit suicide. I was, I was terrified that because I could picture it, that that meant I wanted to. Right. And I mentioned that one because I didn't know that was a thing for a really long time. And it wasn't until I had a really good group therapy, uh, pardon me, therapy group mm-hmm. uh, that I, that I found out that that was actually a thing and worked through it. You know, so with heights being a really big trigger, anything to do with the height um, around my boys was what was really, really difficult. And it would keep me from, you know, enjoying even just being on a high balcony with them and enjoying a view of a lake, you know, something yeah. like that. Um, yeah. So all those things would, uh, would kind of factor in. And what I really had to come around to was if one of my boys wants to be a rock climber, <laughs> I'm going to let, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to facilitate and encourage and help him become a rock climber. And that doesn't mean I have to be able to climb to the top of a mountain, but that does mean that I have to be able to manage these reactions in such a way that, you know, he doesn't look down at me and think that I'm terrified because, you know, again, there's that obvious connection between like, if mom and dad give me the look that everything is okay, I'm going to feel like everything's okay. That's right. Yeah. Right. Um, And I would say that, you know, in the earliest infant stages, my biggest worry was, you know, I had read and been told babies are little sponges, babies are little sponges. They pick up on your cues. They pick up on your heart rate, your body temperature, (laughs) all these kinds of things. And um, my biggest worry in those stages was all those little things that I was like, well, gosh, am I projecting this? Uh, you know, a, 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 am I coming across as anxious? I hope I'm not. You know, I would smile, but kind of make it like a forced smile. Yeah. You know, <laughs> all those kinds of things. So I was just, I was trying to be really cautious about all that. But, you know, th- those are the ways that it really affected them the most. And, uh, you know, as I said, that was a really big motivator for getting those imaginal exposures in, going to a really good group, trying some CBT with the therapist that I was working with. I mean, all those things kind of came up once I really started taking a deeper look. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for sharing that and just being really honest and vulnerable and open about it. I, I mean, I definitely know it's, it's always so helpful kind of when you talk to other folks um, who, you know, have gone through this um, kind of being amongst your own people <laughs> and yeah. your tribe, if you will, you know, and, and just understanding um, that, yeah, it's, it's not good or bad. It's just understanding kind of what is actually happening and how to address it. And then, now it sounds like knowing like, okay, here's how I can adjust. And a lot of it, right. It is actually as a parent, you already naturally have anxiety anyway and worry for your children. Right. And then you have an OCD on top of it. It's just, it's another extra layer. Yeah. And I think that learning the difference uh, and, and between your, your natural parental cues, and those are different for everybody, right. Everybody's uh, parental instincts. I think we all have some of the same instincts, obviously in terms of basic care and survival, but when it comes to, uh, the way we think, what we believe, what we want kids to be exposed to, all those types of things. Mm-hmm. Um, those things are different. And one thing that I really noticed uh, about my OCD at that time was it, it made it really hard for me to tell the difference. And, th- and that was really frustrating. I, I, I constantly wrestled with, is this unreasonable? It feels reasonable. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. every, every ounce of my body is telling me this, but 
but I don't, but I don't know if it is. And, yeah. and that was a source of tension um, between my wife and I at times. And I mean, I, I want any, I don't want anyone to read into that. Like we, we have a very healthy marriage, you know, we're a happy, healthy family, but I can't deny that at times that did just cause some tension of, you know, even just something as simple as listen, honey, like they can go on the climber. It's okay. And, yeah. and, I'm, and, I, and I'm kind of going, Oh, but, but don't you understand? Like, you know, the, this kind yeah. of thing. And, and that, and that just took some conversations and, and you mentioned, um, you know, kind of the conversations and the vulnerability, but I, 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 I do want to make it, you know, clear for anybody else who feels like they're in that situation. One of the reasons that I, that I wrote this book, cause I mean, I'm, I'm not a, a trained psychologist and I would never pretend to be, or a trained therapist, but you know, I, I did notice very early on that there's a lot of information out there about OCD. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's quite a bit of information out there about parenting, but how to parent when you're someone with OCD, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it, 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 it seemed to be a, a gap. And I think, you know, I, I remember searching and searching, trying to find things and thinking, I can't be the only one in this situation. There, there is no way that I'm the first parent to have struggled with OCD or any other mental health struggle for that matter. Yeah. So, you know, it, in terms of the, uh, the, the kind of the vulnerability and putting the conversation out there, um, I'm just really appreciative that, that people can hear it. And I think it's really important, you know, especially for dads, but not just for dads to admit that, you know, there are struggles that come with it. You have this vision of parenting being, you know, kind of an idyllic kind of just ongoing emotional high. And then of course, you know, I imagine all the new parents out there are laughing out loud at me right now as I say that, but you, <laughs> you realize that it can be exhausting and you realize that it can bring up struggles for you that may not have presented the same way before. And I think it's so important for people to know that um, there are, there are steps, you know, it, it, it doesn't make you, it doesn't make you a risk to your family. If you start going to therapy to work on your mental health, you know, it, 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 yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't make you a bad parent to say that because of what's going on here, I am struggling. And the other thing that I would really like people to know is that, that there, there are practical steps. And in my book, I've tried to share um, the practical CBT exercises that worked for me. I didn't write them. I, you know, with, with permission, I've mm-hmm. shared them so that people know what I did. And it's kind of a take what you like and scrap what you don't like type of approach. But I do just also share some of my personal story in more detail so that people see um it's something that can affect anybody, but just also that uh, with consistent work and consistent practical steps that there are um, good outcomes out there that are possible. So That's awesome. I think that's a great message for folks to hear. Um, please tell us, how can people find you? And uh, if they want to, you know, pre-purchase the book, what, where can they, why can they do that? Sure. Thank you. So uh, a couple of different ways. So my website is www.theocdad.ca. So T-H-E-O-C-D-A-D.ca. There's a a contact form on there. um, If anyone wants to reach out to me for any kind of conversation, Uh, the book is currently available for pre-sale on some book retailers. I've got those buttons listed right on the main page of the website. So if you just scroll down, you'll see them. Uh, Within the next couple of weeks, it's going to be available for full sale through Amazon, through Chapters up here in Canada, through Barnes & Noble down in the United States. Um, And it'll be also it will also be available internationally. It's in hard copy and ebook. Uh, and my big priority with that is just get the conversation out there, get the information out there to the folks who need it. So the website, www.theocdad.ca is best. Uh, there are links to where you can buy the book. Any problems with that, there's a contact page. Um, and again, I, 
I welcome any conversations, whether it's just comments, whether it's questions about buying the book or further conversations. Um, and then the other thing is that I do have a resource section on there of the different organizations and books that worked really well for me. It's not a comprehensive list of every resource on the internet, but it is a good start. So hopefully you'll find something useful there. That's awesome. Thank you so much. I think that's great work. Congratulations on your book and thanks for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening to OCD Whisperer Podcast. To get additional support with OCD, whether you're newly diagnosed, got through treatment and need help maintaining progress, or you just can't afford treatment, visit Christina's on-demand Mastering OCD membership at masteringocd.com.